There is a podcast called The Local Maximum at localmaxradio.com and it's hosted by Max Sklar, who has over a decade of experience in machine learning. Max talks to creative engineers and entrepreneurs about emerging technology and how it is changing our world. You will learn about building great products and how to communicate and build your career. That's why data scientists around the world are tuning in to The Local Maximum and uh, you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts or at localmaxradio.com. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Data Science at Home podcast, where we talk about AI, machine learning and algorithms. We made it. Invisibility is a thing now. Today, I'm with three researchers from the EVIS department, Embedded and Artificial Intelligent Vision Engineering from KU Leuven, who found a method to fool surveillance cameras, or so-called smart cameras, and basically let intruders pass undetected exactly that undetected it's basically a form of invisibility so stay with us because today we're gonna have a lot of fun this is data science at home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone here's your host francesco Cadaletta. So I am with uh, Simon Thies, Wiebe van Ranst, and Ton... Who do you mean? <laughs> Hi, Ton. <laughs> Hi. So Ton is the supervisor of this research group at KU Leuven, um, who is in fact supervising these other guys who made, the, who made invisibility possible. First of all, welcome to the show, guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the method that basically fools surveillance cameras, uh, a matter that is, of course, based on deep learning. Do you mind introduce yourself and uh, what your research group does to the listeners of Data Science at Home podcast? Well, indeed, thank you very much. Uh, well, indeed, our research group, EVICE, is um, focusing on applied vision research. And, of course, together with AI, uh, we uh, try to focus on, on these kind of applications, which are mostly demand-driven. Uh, demand so there are companies which approach us and ask us, like, can you solve this or this problem? Now we dive into the academic state-of-the-art research and try to solve some kind of uh, yeah, their, their problems. And it can be from very different uh, application domains. So I've done things in healthcare, for instance, so uh, trying to detect uh, elderly that fall down in their uh, living homes. Uh, we are, uh, for instance, working on orchid detection and counting for orchid nurseries. Uh, there's a company uh, which works on, on um, real estate uh, re restyling, automatic restyling after a 3D scan of the interior of a building. Um, so indeed, all these kinds of very uh, applied applications uh, on which we can use the state-of-the-art, the newest research in, in vision and AI. Sounds very cool. And how many people are involved in this? Well, nowadays we have about 15 researchers and, and three uh, professors uh, forming together that EVICE group. Nice. So your method is based, the one specific to the, to the paper that you just published, uh, is based on adversarial attacks on images, in fact on video frames, right? Um, so to start with, I assume that you guys are doing this with uh, the so-called white hat spirit in order to improve detectors uh, and not just breaking them for profit. Of course, of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So can we say don't try this at home? Of course not, because we love science. So 
We say try this at home because these guys released the source code also added to the show notes of the episode. The source code is on the homepage of the website and on GitLab as well. So my, my question uh, actually is quite philosophical now. Why one wants to fool a classifier? Indeed, of course, from our uh, academic point of view, we want to see what the vulnerabilities are of these developed systems. So these AI systems, deep learning models, are very complex. Um, and we would like to see if there are, there, there are holes in it. How do they actually actually work? And, and, and can we find something that, that makes them not working? But of course, from a practical point of view, there are situations where you, as a user, can try to, I uh, can, can, can enjoy uh, uh, fooling such a classifier. Like if you, uh, if you don't want to be undetected, if you don't want to be detected, I mean, uh, when walking around and sneaking around some private property guarded with surveillance cameras, okay, that's not the, the uh, white hat spirit, but okay, uh, if you can find something that's, that, that's uh, poses a, a, a great uh, security risk. Um, but also there are other, there are other applications uh, uh, to uh, trying to fool these automated systems. Um, also for, for face recognition, we know these kind of, of glasses which you can wear, uh, which fool those detectors and, 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 and fool them such that uh, it appears that your ID is not your, uh, your face is not your own, but that you're wearing another uh, people ID and, 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 and can be recognized as, as one of them. The most important is that we can see uh, that they are so complex and AI is, is uh, at the verge of kind of, of controlling our, our habits and everything we do. And, and can we indeed uh, hide from them? That That's also an, an idea in this research. <laughs> okay, sounds cool. And uh, what is an adversarial attack on images or videos? Uh, can you give us a brief explanation of uh, how do we go from a classifier to fooling one? Well, what you need is, of course, a classifier. So we need some existing software, an existing neural net that uh, takes an image as input or video, which is a sequence of images, of course, um, and produces as output uh, detection results. Uh, in our case, this is bounding boxes around the persons that are detected. Adversarial attack means that we use an other neural network to attack them to find um, an, an, a configuration or a solution where we can fool that first uh, neural net. In this case, we found some pattern on a patch you can wear in front of your body uh, fooling this uh, detector. <laughs> and we will go into the details of how did, did you guys do that. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys made people invisible, let's say, for a special class of problems. Uh, that is, those with high intra-class variety. So, what is intra-class variety and why is it important? Well, most detectors uh, try to find a problem to, to, be, to, to, to build a classifier on that. So, for instance, if you want to detect road signs or another object, which which doesn't change that much, then it's quite easy. Uh, for road signs, of course, the... Um, the appearance is even is, is fixed. It's even fixed by law. This this kind of road signs need to have this black and white and red uh, pattern. So indeed, after a while, after a few examples, this algorithm can uh, can have a very clear view of what what it looks like, and also in different viewpoints and all. Uh, there's not much intra-class variety there. Um, we 
change this to another application where there's much more interclass variety. Um, there are lots of problems with much interclass variety. For instance, indeed, persons. Persons, uh, persons appearance is not uh, defined by law, of course, so <laughs> that would be strange. Um, so indeed, uh, everybody looks different, uh, different uh, clothes on, different faces, different haircuts, but also different poses, uh, different viewpoints. Uh, so it makes... Uh, a, uh, the detection of these objects, uh, we call people sometimes kind of an object, uh, make it difficult. Um, and, and therefore, so uh, we need lots of training material to train a detector that really works on all video data to find uh, persons on it. In the previous work, there is no intra-class variety. And uh, Tom, thank you very much for the explanation of letting us understand indeed where the challenge is. Uh, now, so you guys claim that you are the first research group who in fact focus their attention on uh, high intra-class variety problems and more specifically people. How many have been trying to fool classifiers already? Hi, I'm Simon. It started actually in 2014. Um, the Segeri changed pixels of the input image. Um, that was his way to generate adversarial examples. Um, then the next big step was a good follow. We created a gradient sign method for uh, faster generations of these uh, adversarial attacks. Um, but probably the first related work to, the big related work to ours is Brown, who generated real patches in which could fool the classifiers in the real world. Um, so the big thing he introduced was a printable patch um, that could fool classifiers on real world images. Um, then. The next, um, the next work related to ours is uh, Eftimov. He attacked uh, road signs with stickers, but like Tom said, that's a um, type of object with little interclass variety. So that's the first thing we, uh, the big thing we introduced. Um, persons are a class with a, a lot more interclass variety. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the novelty of our work really. So, well, the one from Eftimov actually was a pretty nasty one because uh, they patched road signs with stickers to basically misclassify a stop sign with, for example, yeah, you can push gas in, on, on this curve and, and crash your car eventually. So, I mean, there's nothing to laugh about, but, you know, I imagine a, a, an autonomous vehicle equipped with a, a camera, a smart camera to recognize things in the street, on the road. Now, what happens, you know, what did these guys do, these other researchers do? Did they train the neural network or the model to include all possible perspectives of these signs, or how does that work? Well, what they did was um, they took one virtual image, so the image in, is in its digital representation um, of a stop sign, and then they applied their patch on it, and they rotated it and put it to different backgrounds um, to generate a data set to um, make an optimal patch. Um, so they didn't really take um, pictures of stop signs with different angles or um, different lighting or in the real world. Mm -hmm. They just um, used one digital representation and rotated it um, to generate their data set. I see. So that's not going to be the case for you know persons because as Ton already uh, mentioned, doing the same thing on, on people is going to be not viable, not yeah, feasible. That, that's not that's not possible indeed because uh, they all have different poses right. and it's a it's a real um, a real 
different thing to do that for a person. Sure. Now, in all those cases, that also the ones you mentioned, uh, there is no access to the parameters of the neural network. Is that correct? No, actually, we, we do need the parameters of the neural network um, to attack uh, the model. Um, we need to train it um, by backpropagating uh, our loss over the network. So we do need to know um, the architecture of the network and uh, the parameters inside. Um, so we, we need the gradient to know how to modify our patch. So we need to know how the, the model functions inside. Okay, let's go deeper now. What object detector did you guys use for this project? Um, hello everybody, I'm Wiebe and I'm one of the co-authors of the paper. Um, and for this project we use the YOLO, actually the YOLO version 2 detector. Um, because it's a detector we actually use a lot in the research groups. As Ton already mentioned, we have a lot of applications in the research groups. And we have a lot of applications that need to work at real time. And YOLO is one of those detectors that is really fast and able to do things that are in real time. And in the case of a security camera, um, what is often the case that you also need a detector that is able to process the huge amount of video that comes from all security cameras in real time. So you also need a fast detector. And for that, we specifically looked at uh, the YOLO detector. And uh, how about the training data set? Um, the training data set for training the, the YOLO detector, of course, itself is trained on the MS Coco data set. Um, but we used the INRIA data set, which is now kind of old. But we didn't use the Coco data set because it contains a lot of images where only part of a person is in the image. But what we wanted to have is um, a data set that has like full body persons in the image. Um, because we, we, we only need the appearance of uh, the, the full appearance of a person, um, not parts of a person. So we apply the patch in the center of a person. Um, so we only need that. Yeah. Interesting. Now I want to go back to Simon for, for a second because I want to know how did you generate those patches? Like I've seen on the website on the on the paper that there is one of you guys holding a patch that. You know, one looks like a teddy bear, another one looks like, uh, I don't know, trees, people, a bit blurred and very colorful. So how did you end up generating these patches? Well, actually, we um, used the loss function uh, consisting of three parts. Um, one of those parts um, is used to minimize the, the detection of the persons. And uh, two other parts of the loss function are used to make the patch more um, printable. So we can actually use the patch in a real-world situation. Um, the, the loss that is actually making the person disappear to the detector is the detection loss. We can use um, a couple of different losses. Um, we have the objectness score of the, of the person. Then we have a class score outputted by YOLO. And depending on which of these scores we take, we end up with a different type of patch. So when we um, only take the objectness score, we get a patch that is not detected as anything. Um, whereas if we take um, the class score into account, um, we end up with a patch that can be detected as another object, such as a teddy bear or a kite. Okay. It is a, a class that also um, is able to be detected by the detector. I see. So you're saying that if there is a class in the training set that, for example, the teddy bear class, and uh, your loss function ends up generating a patch that looks like a teddy bear. In fact, 
you you know th that loss function is creating a misclassification not exactly yeah. invisibility but just okay makes it, sense it depends on which loss function we we use so we can generate patches that look like something and we can also generate patches that don't look like anything at all i see if, if we take the the object score into account instead of the class score so we will go back to that because that could be like a countermeasure <laughs> like we'll, we'll discuss about the security yeah. consequences of what you just said um, now if you wanted to summarize the workflow of this project how would you go with that like step one so we apply um, we run the target uh, person detector on the data set so we have um, detections of persons um, we know where the persons are in the pictures um, we have in fact, the, the in-real data set consisting of uh, pictures of pedestrians. So then the detector locates the persons for us in the pictures. And then step two. Well, then we go. Up, uh, we want to apply our patch to the, to the persons. We now know where the persons are in the pictures, so we can apply the patch digitally to the locations um, as we know them from the detections of the detector. And we calculate the loss based on the detections by that. And then step three. Then step three is to um, backpropagate over the network and change the patch to uh, a patch that um, can mislead the detector and uh, try to uh, fool it. And boom, you got invisible. How long did the entire training process take? Well, the, the training process, of course, it, it depends on the architecture. The architecture that I used in my master's thesis was um, uh, um, online. It was a cloud solution by, by Google, Google Colab. Um, so obviously it took a longer time to compute it at home than when we tried it here at the university. What is long? One day, two days a week? Well, um, the first patch I trained took about two days before optimization. Um, mm. So I, I trained a lot of patches, of course. We also have like in the research group, a uh, fancy new NVIDIA DGX system. Um, which I used to train some other patches after Siemens has done, had done this work um, and to train one patch on one GPU on that system took like less than six hours I would say okay so this system is not generating patches but is just back propagating on one initial patch yes that's true so the benefit of this approach is that in fact you can hack any environment in the sense that would that be possible to generate patches that are agnostic from the environment or how would that work? Well, currently what we did to test our approach is to, as I mentioned earlier, use the India dataset, which contains basically holiday pictures. Um, and we tested our approach um, in our office using a webcam and it seemed to work properly. Um, what we also mentioned in the paper is that um, in our current workflow, it is possible to um, to take footage from a surveillance camera, from a specific surveillance camera, and just run a detector on that, and then apply our detector, uh, our patch, um, on the detections that come from that detector. Um, in this way, we have a specific attack for one environment, and we basically can make the patch we generated more robust. Now, if I were a surveillance camera manufacturer, and if I knew about three guys in the middle of Belgium, who claim they fooled my cameras and uh, eventually wrote a paper and hypothetically released the source code on GitLab. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm saying hypothetically. <laughs> what could I do to protect my business? 
Well, a good question. I, I would first um, approach the guys and uh, give them lots of money. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> just a joke. Uh, well, Neil, uh, uh, well, we have some. We know some weaknesses of our approach. It would be nice indeed if this patch, one patch, would would fool all these kind of uh, smart cameras, um, as such that uh, every intruder everywhere can just use this patch to make him virtually invisible and sneak around these surveillance cameras. But that is not the case. Eh? We tested uh, this this patch also on, on slightly different architecture, so a YOLO detector, uh, but then not trained on Coco, but trained on Pascal Vok, for instance. Uh, well. He just uh, uh, detected persons even when they were wearing these patches. Um, so uh, that's that's good news for the surveillance camera mm -hmm. manufacturer. Um, um, but of course, yeah, it it, it poses uh, the, the the danger that for every pedestrian detector, every smart camera architecture in the world, we can find patches to to avoid them, to to mislead it. Um, so what can you do to protect it? Well, you can you can do make your own. Uh, make your own training of a person detector and not make it public so that n nobody can can make this kind of a uh, white box approach we did mm -hmm. um, but then yeah we can think of other uh, other approaches uh, such that we can we can do this uh, theoretically we can make it a black box approach so that's that's maybe future work then <laughs> um, um, or you can, of course, you, you can think of kinds of an, of an arms race there. So as a, as a camera manufacturer, the easiest thing is to add some examples in your training um, for of people, images of people wearing or holding this patch, such that the person detector knows that a, a guy holding a patch is also still a person. Right. Uh, and and so, but of course, that gives a more 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 robust detector. But I don't think we cannot find another patch sure. that is able to fool that detector Absolutely. anymore. But then Simon can change the patch and uh, uh, run a backpropagation that <laughs> changes that patch. And so it's indeed the cats and, uh, and mice. Cats and, <laughs> cats and mice problem, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, guys, it was very nice meeting you. And uh, I'm sure that you are tackling a very interesting problem in uh, computer vision and smart cameras and deep learning. I believe that your work will definitely contribute to improve classifiers. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the hypothetical uh, surveillance camera manufacturer will know how to uh, protect himself and, of course, protect you know people and users of his cameras. Mm -hmm. um, if you, of course, want to give to the listeners of Data Science at Home podcast your contacts, how can they contact you, email you, web pages? Well, you can find our uh, paper on, on Archive. So if you just Google fooling automated surveillance cameras, then you certainly can find our, our paper. Uh, more details also and contact details are on our website. So that's www.evice, which is spelled like E A V I. SE.be and certainly you can find us there and uh, get in contact. Of course, uh, all these informations will be included in the show notes of this episode. Guys, thank you very much again. That's all for today. Talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by Amethix Technologies, a data analytics company that uses AI and advanced machine learning 
to create products that transform the way organizations and people use their data. They support humans at their most important tasks and businesses by designing and building data analytics engines. If you are a creative data scientist and you want to make an impact in machine learning projects, don't be shy. Drop them a line at amethix.com career. It's a-m-e-t-h-i-x dot com slash careers.